Thanks, Brian and worship team. Good morning, New Cove. Uh, it feels good to say that. Uh, also, uh, if you're new here and uh, you're, you're not necessarily a part of this family, we want to say uh, welcome to you. I know we've got probably got folks watching online this morning, and maybe even folks that are watching from Greensboro, North Carolina. So um, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. We have a, yeah, we have a Greensboro, North Carolina campus. Isn't that awesome? All right. Hey, um, let me just say right out of the gate, thank you. Thank you all so much for just all of the warm welcomes that, that I've enjoyed uh, this week. Um, all the generous offers of helping me get settled in. Uh, I know that some of you realize I don't have my family with me, and so that causes some of you to be concerned that I'm not eating well. And so, I, again, I, I definitely appreciate that part. But just helping, helping smooth this transition between North Carolina uh, and Nebraska. And so I think I shared a little bit of this last week, but the last several months have been a journey. Um, there's been a lot of unexpected, several adjustments that we've had to make along the way. And, and I'm so appreciative for uh, the governing board being able to accommodate me and my family through a lot of this. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of challenges, and I think things that we're still navigating right now as a, as a family um, especially since our last visit here in August. Uh, at the beginning of September, I think I mentioned this last week, I had a pretty serious bout with COVID. You'll, you'll still hear evidence of that uh, this morning. Not that I have COVID, but a cough that I have not been able to get rid of. And so that kind of put things on hold for a couple of weeks, uh, which might explain a little bit of the, um, uh, the mystery that was lingering here because I was trying to balance my transition plan with Westover Church and uh, communication and so forth. And so if you felt like things were being a little bit secretive, that's my fault, okay? Um, I knew that folks were, were watching, and I wanted to make sure that everybody um, knew in a, in a proper fashion. Uh, and so thank you for just being patient, as I've been trying to do the best I can to finish well there, uh, while also um, preparing for life and ministry uh, in Lincoln. And so with that being said, I'm excited because today... I am preaching for the very first time officially as lead pastor of New Cove. Yeah. Which means, which means that for some of you, I have, you've got really high expectations for me this morning. And let me just say that, listen, I, it, one, one thing is guaranteed, okay, during our time and our journey together. I am going to disappoint you. So what better way than just to go ahead and disappoint you on day one, get it out of the... That's not, my, that's not my goal, but let me just say, I may need a little grace this morning, because uh, again, I feel like I'm in different places, and only God is meant to be in different places, not us, but um, I just need a little grace uh, this morning from you, because, as I kind of have been working through, um, not just what I'm saying, but uh, preparing over, over these next couple of weeks. Um, and so let me just say, don't be disappointed if this is, this is not the best message you've ever heard, because it's probably not going to be, Okay. But the, but the thing that I'm so thankful for in terms of my responsibility here is you have not asked me to come and entertain you. You've not asked me to come and uh, impress you or to perform, but to, to teach God's word uh, rightly and to continue to point us to Jesus. And if we can do those things, we're going to be okay. Amen. Yeah, there's, the, there's the North Carolina amen. Awesome. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans 12 is where we're going to be. If you've got one of these, if you don't have your Bible or your own Bible or an app, 
Uh, pick up one of these uh, Bibles somewhere around you, and it's going to be on page 1137. Uh, 1137. Last week, we, um, as you're making your way there, we started our teaching series. We're calling One Another, and our founding pastor, uh, Dr. Brett Yon, uh, got this started for us. Uh, last week, kick things off for us. Then this series, by the way, is going to take us up to Thanksgiving, which is going to be here uh, before we know it. Now, kind of as a way of setting up where we're going today, let me let me ask a question. Um, and, and I wrote a little bit about this in our weekly email that some of you got twice this week, and that's okay. But I know that you read every single word, and you always read every single word in those weekly emails. But let me ask you a question: Have you ever found yourself in a place that was completely unfamiliar, uh, completely new. Maybe, maybe it was a vacation, maybe you were making a visit somewhere, maybe you were on a business trip, maybe you were looking at potentially moving to a new place, you know, something like that, uh, where you found yourself working really hard not to look completely out of place or like a tourist. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you, like, I don't want to stand out here. How many of you have heard this phrase before? Um, when in Rome, how does it finish? Do as the Romans do. Now, for some people, like, what does that even mean, right? Well, this actually uh, probably originated sometime as a, as a cultural proverb that was coined during the time of the, of the Roman Empire, most likely Ambrose of Milan, if you want to uh, geek out on some of that. But it, it's an, an advisement that when you're visiting somewhere, do as the locals do so as not to unnecessarily stand out and so as not to offend other people. Uh, you see, it's, it's, an, it's basically a, a thought and an idea about understanding a culture. And, and everywhere, every place has a particular culture. What I mean by culture are values, patterns, behaviors, norms, assumptions, expectations that make a place and a people distinct and unique. Like, how do people do things here? Like, what are the rules, whether written or, or unwritten? Uh, what are ways that people behave and, and relate to one another? And the better that we understand those things, the, the better we are able to navigate, adapt, function, and participate in that particular culture. In missionary terms, we would call this something like contextualization. Okay? Now, as someone who has the responsibility of becoming familiar and well acquainted with this culture and this community to which uh, our church family exists... Uh, I've sort of adapted these phrases this way. Uh, When in Nebraska, do as Nebraskans do. Or when in Lincoln, do as the Lincolnites do. Did I get that right? Yeah, awesome, okay. So over the last couple of months, I've been learning culture here, okay? And and I want to share with you this morning some of what I've learned. And, And I'm probably going to offend some of you. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that, okay? Some of you are going to want to correct me after, and that's totally fine too, okay? But I want, to, I want to give you a perspective, a North Carolinian's perspective or an outsider's perspective of what I've experienced so far. Now, anytime you want to study another culture, I don't know of a better place to go to than the local Walmart. <laughs> or in North Carolina, we would call it the Walmart as opposed to a Walmart, okay? It's like a, a, a significant landmark. So... I made my first trip to Walmart this week, right down here on 84th. I will tell you that going to Walmart is not necessarily one of my favorite things. But when I went in, I, I, I kid you not, I am, 
I'm pretty sure I was the only person in Walmart that did not have a red shirt on. And this was, this was Friday, okay? It was game day, right? I was so tempted in Walmart. I wanted to, I wanted to give this a try because I've heard some of you say this. Like, I wanted to initiate the infamous chant, Go Big Red, to which people would instinctively respond. Yeah. Case in point. There we go. So obviously, a huge part of the culture here is that there is one team, the Huskers, right? And so if being a Nebraska means doing as the Nebraskans do, then I would do well to make sure that I'm wearing some Nebraska gear. Just so long as it doesn't interfere with my beloved North Carolina Tar Heels, okay? Which that rarely will happen, uh, I'm assuming, unless conference realignment Who knows what's going to happen there. Here's here's something else that I've learned uh, that I think is really important. That on game days here in Lincoln, uh, Memorial Stadium becomes the third largest city in Nebraska. I didn't know that until a couple of months ago. I think that's pretty fascinating. Um, In fact, I've, I've learned that you have to schedule things around games. Regardless of whether it's a home game or or an away game. Um. And so I'd be wise if I'm going to plan some stuff to advise the, or to, to consult with the, uh, uh, the, the calendar or the, uh, the schedule uh, for the University of Nebraska football team. However, I've also learned that there is something just as big as Nebraska football, which is what? Nebraska women's volleyball. And we have, been, we have enjoyed watching Nebraska women's volleyball back in North Carolina. We're, we're already fans. Um, in fact, if it was the week after we were here, like national attention, all these people in North Carolina are watching. Like, did you see that thing that just happened in Nebraska? Like, yeah, I was actually, I actually was standing on the field uh, last week. You know, that was that was actually really cool. Ninety-two thousand three people, it packed into a stadium, world record uh, set for Nebraska volleyball. So again, that's an important part of the culture here in in Lincoln, right? Something else. Um, that, that I think makes Nebraska distinct is reflected in some of the, of the state's mottos. Now, you can correct me on this. I'm not sure which state motto is actually the real one, okay? It, but there's several. There, there was the, the good life, which makes me kind of think of a Paul Davis song from uh, back in the day. Um, but the one that really stands out is Nebraska Nice. I, I, I like this one. I've not only heard a lot about this, but I've actually experienced this firsthand. Now, again, I kid you not, this, this happened sometime this week. I drove uh, the wrong direction down a one-way street. <laughs> and instead of having somebody, somebody else did that, instead of having people blow the horn, start yelling, becoming irate, which is likely to happen in North Carolina, this car that's coming in my direction is this sweet lady who's just doing this number. Oh, oh, Stop. You're going the wrong way. And then when she drives by me, she just smiles. And I told Molly, I said, even, even when you drive the wrong way down a one-way street, people are still nice. Now, listen, I know that not all Nebraskans uh, are nice. Um, <coughs> in fact, last week, I, I arrived actually on, on Saturday, on the Saturday of the Michigan game. And Pastor Brent drove me through downtown. And this, this was at the time where there was a mass exodus out of the stadium. And, and, and while, I, I know, listen, just think about Friday. Don't think about last Saturday. Um, but people, I saw some angry Nebraskans. There was a poor guy trying to get across the crosswalk, 
And this pickup truck is just, I mean, threatening to run over this guy. And I don't know if it had to do with the fact that he was wearing Nebraska gear and he just wasn't, he wasn't happy at that particular point. But there were some angry uh, people, which might seem to line up with one of the state's mottos, uh, Nebraska, not for everyone. I don't know where that one came from. I think it was a politician or something like that, wasn't it? Anyway, that one needs to go. Okay. A couple more here. I promise this is going somewhere, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure that while I was in Walmart the other day, uh, I heard something that I I don't think I've heard before. Um, I was standing in the aisle studying the the snack bars, which ones that I, I I wanted to get, and this lady walks by, and she said, Oop, sorry. What? Oop? Sorry? What? So this, this phrase to me explains why I hear people apologize so much in Nebraska. Listen, I'm pretty sure that the lady that was driving the correct way while I was driving the wrong way up the one-way street was saying, Oop, sorry, I just need to squeeze by you here real quick or you know, something like that. I'm like, I'm the one that needs to apologize, right? That's fun. Okay, this was not so distinct to Nebraska, but let's say you're driving down one of the long, straight, endless roads going in countless directions. Maybe you're headed out to Eagle or something like that, and, and, you, and you're, you're slowly meeting a, another car. What are some of the drivers that are in that particular situation likely to do? There it is, right there. The one-finger wave. It can also be adapted to the two-finger wave, right? This is sometimes known as the farmer's wave. Um, This one's kind of familiar uh, to me in North Carolina, but I have been trying it out this week, and it it works. That's actually actually really cool. Um, This one, however, I I, I still haven't adjusted to, okay? Here's the question. Where are the stop signs? Like, when you're in the neighborhoods, like back in the neighborhoods, where are the stop signs? In North Carolina, there's a good chance that they've been stolen. But it doesn't look like they ever existed in some of the neighborhoods around here. So, like for some of you, like, what's wrong with that? Anyway, okay. Last one. Uh, one of the things I love about visiting and, and getting accustomed to new places is enjoying food. Um, you know, checking out local restaurants and things of that nature. Occasionally, I'll come across some things that are just completely baffling to me. Uh, went to Honest Abe's, had my first Honest Abe's burger, and I asked for lettuce and tomato on my burger. I was told we don't have tomatoes, which I, I told is not, not necessarily a normal thing, but I'm standing there like, okay, wait, you won't put a tomato on my burger, but you will put peanut butter on my burger. <laughs> Who came up with that one? The other thing is, you know, chili and cinnamon buns. I've never heard of that before, but that doesn't sound too bad, okay? However, if you're going to do as the Nebraskans do, you got to, you got to go with the, the local cuisine, which is what? A runza. So I had my first runza, Andrew, on Thursday night, and I'm happy to report that I had no ill effects as a result, okay? So anyway, <laughs> I could keep going. This was fun this week. That, the staff actually helped me with, with some of this, but... Um, so you can blame them for, for inaccuracies. I, I got everything right. All right so um, the, the whole point here is that there's a way of doing things, right, in different places. There, there's norms, values, there's uh, expectations, behavior. In fact, culture, if you want to understand culture from a kind of a definition standpoint, it reflects these underlying beliefs, 
uh, assumptions, values, expected behaviors that are shared among a group of people. And sometimes you're not even aware of the culture until you're away from it and you experience another culture, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of been fun to do that this last week. But again, the better acquainted you are with the culture, uh, the better you're able to adapt to function, participate uh, in that culture. Let me ask a different question this morning. Have you ever stepped into a church for the first time and wondered, what's the culture here? Like, what's important here? What do they they value here? Um, What's the expectation here? What What does it look like for me to belong here? And I'm talking about things that go beneath the surface, beyond, like, where should I sit? You know, I hope I don't sit in somebody's seat. I'm telling you, the church that I grew up in, rural North Carolina, if you sat in the, the third row on the left side, um, and that's on, the, on a pew, uh, you were going to get the stink eye from a group of ladies that included my grandmother on a Sunday morning, okay? So, like, you know, where should I not sit? Where, you know, what Bible should I bring? Should I bring a Bible? All those different things. You know, like, there's, there's kind of culture that churches have. What does it mean to belong here? And, and here's the thing, like, again, you've got different things in terms of culture that exists all around us, but the church has a distinct culture. And while there are cultural differences around us, the Bible seems to make, seems to make clear that there is a certain culture, transcendent expectations and norms, that should be consistent from one church to another, biblically speaking. That there, there can be differences in culture, differences in language, differences in geographic location, but Scripture points to certain cultural characteristics that should be evident in every church that exists, regardless of the cultural factors around it. Which means that when it comes to the church, there should be no guessing as to what to expect. If only that were always true, right? And so if this is true, then, then what are those biblical values, behaviors, expectations that are meant to define the culture of the church? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, as, as part of a, as what we started doing last week, and uh, Dr. Brett Yon walked us through this of uh, beginning to explore these one another's within the New Testament. In fact, I think that's the answer uh, to many of these questions and how we can understand culture within the context of the church through the one another's of the New Testament. The word one another uh, actually is it's a phrase. It comes from the Greek alaleon. It appears, I think, a hundred times in 97 different verses. But, but it's used in a specific phrase of one anothering, if we can t- take, the, take a noun and ter- or pronoun and turn it into a verb, uh, some 59 different times. And it's referring to how we are to treat one another, how we're to relate to one another, how we're to respond to one another, regardless of the cultural differences around us. The one anothers set the example, set the tone for what the culture in the church is supposed to look like and how it's, how it's supposed to work. In other words, like, the one another is sort of like a code of conduct for, for the local church. How we, again, how we engage with one another and how we exist with one another. So before we get to Romans chapter 12, what I want to briefly do is I just want to read through these 59 one another's. When I say briefly, some of these are used in multiple um, uh, senses. And so we're not going to cover all, we're not going to read all 59. But I want to read these together because I think it's really important that we hear them together. Here, here's Here's... Just kind of a, a quick listen. I think you can find this online. Uh, in fact, uh, Dr. Yan actually had a printout of some of these last week that you can still get at the welcome uh, table. And I encourage you to do that this morning. Fifteen times 
we see the phrase, love one another. In fact, that's, that's exactly what we talked about last week. I would argue this is the most important one. Why? Because Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. You are to love one another. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Like our loving one another, our, our treatment of one another is actually, a, a, sends a message to the world around us based on what we believe and how serious we are about what it is that we believe. So love one another. At least four times it says greet one another. Three times encourage one another. A couple of times bear with one another. Live in harmony. Submit to one another. Be members of one another. Serve one another. Build up one another. Forgive one another. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. That's a one that many of us are probably eager to do, right? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another. Have equal concern for each other. Have fellowship with one another. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That basically means sing to each other. We sing to God in worship, but we're also singing those truths to each other. That's part of what we just did this morning. Speak to one, I said that, speak to one another, instruct one another, teach one another, consider one another as better than yourself, spur on one another toward love and good deeds, do what is good for each other, confess your sins to each other, pray for one another, offer hospitality to one another. And then there's eight things that we're not supposed to do. That, that we do not do to one another that are explicitly commanded. Don't grumble against each other. Mm. Don't grumble against each other. Um, listen, you're always going to have somebody talk behind your back, right? Let's just make sure that the things that we're saying behind each other's backs are good things, okay? That build other people up. That's kind of the point. It says do not bite, consume, or devour one another. That just seems to be a good idea, right? And we're like, well, that sounds like cannibalistic. No, that's not like... Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Let us not envy one another. Do not slander one another. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Listen, we could take 59 weeks and walk through each of these, and we would probably be the better for it. And over this eight-week period, we're just going to kind of touch on a handful of these. But let me, let me just clarify a couple of things real quick. Because this is kind of a, we're kind of stepping back and like overview for where we're going over, over the next seven uh, weeks now, with, with counting last week. First, in no way should the one another's be understood as a list of rules, like a list of, uh, of things that we demand from one another. Uh, that's not what the one another's are. They're like things that have to be abided by and, in order to belong and be accepted, and if you cross the line, you get kicked out. Like we, we are not a people that live by rules. We live by grace. We don't presume upon God. We, that there's commands that we live by, but we are not a people who are rules-based. We are grace-based. To be anything otherwise is to be inconsistent with the gospel. And so let's be perfectly clear on that. Instead, the one another's show us how to be a gospel people, how to put the gospel in action as we live it out together in relationship, in community, a people who have been and are being transformed by the gospel, by the word of God, and by the grace of God. Or maybe maybe we could say it this way, and this is kind of one thing that I'd love to kind of have you, uh, we're gonna, this is something that we're going to come back to over the next couple of weeks. Here's maybe one way to say that. The one another's are not what we demand from each other. The one another's reflect what we become for one another. Make sense? It's not what we demand from each other. It's about what we become for one another. In other words, I don't show up Sunday after Sunday expecting 
to, to receive all of these things more than I'm showing up to become these things for other people. Like, that's what it means to one another. Secondly, while my hope in this room is that everybody at some point or another, maybe even right now, you're experiencing these one another's in the context of relationship with people around you. The fact is, especially in a, in a room this size, that there may be some of these that um, you haven't experienced. Where one anothering might feel like a, a far cry when it comes to your experience in some cases with the church. And so without making any excuses, without presuming to understand anybody's experience, let me just say this up front. We don't always get these things right, do we? We don't always get these things right. We're, we're going we're gonna to mess up. We're going to disappoint. And, and there's ways that we can continue to work through that, but one anothering is challenging. And it's one of the reasons that I think that for some, it's just easier and way less complicated to just show up each Sunday, find a seat, sing a few songs, listen to a guy talk for 30, 45 minutes, no, an hour, <laughs> give some money, and, and go home. In fact, for a lot of people, we, we, would, we would prefer it to be this way. It's just easier. We don't, have to get in, we don't have to get involved. We don't have to get messy. But we don't want us to see this is such a far cry from God's good design for his church and for our lives. So again, hopefully you're there, Romans chapter 12. And what I want to do here is I want to just focus primarily on one verse, even though I want to kind of overview some things as we move along here in the remaining time that I have. And so I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Um, but I do have to speed it up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> As we focus on primarily on one verse, what we're looking at here is, I think, one of the, the greatest discourses in all of Scripture in terms of what it means to be a one another people. And what I mean by that is right here in Romans chapter 12. And so let's read verse 1 together. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, a general rule in Bible study, and I think this is true for any kind of uh, literary study, is anytime you see the word therefore, you should always ask the question, what is it therefore, right? That helps us to kind of understand the context, what's going on around, especially in Scripture, so that we don't take things out of context, which can so easily be done. Now, this therefore in verse 1, and this is kind of where I want to draw our attention uh, for just a few moments, this therefore might be the biggest therefore in all of the Bible. It's right here in, in Romans chapter 12, which kind of serves as this hinge point, this turning point between the first 11 chapters of Romans and the next 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, that, that kind of shifts and focuses on how we live out this redemptive plan, this, this redemptive hope in the gospel that is so beautifully laid out uh, in the book of Romans. And by the way, you know this, the book of Romans is, was actually written as a letter by a guy named Paul of Tarsus sometime around 57 uh, uh, A.D., uh, it was written to people, to followers of Jesus that were living in the epicenter of, of the world's greatest power uh, in Rome and, and, and demonstrating to them what it looks like to live in a countercultural way as followers of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do. The first 11 chapters focus on one major theme, mercy, God's mercy. It's mentioned right here in verse 1, therefore in view of God's mercy. And so to show you this, 
And I'm going to try to do this in about three minutes, okay? I want to summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans, which is completely absurd but necessary, I think, in painting a picture of how important it is and what we see right here in verse 1 of chapter 12. Okay, you ready? I'm going to tell you, don't try to take notes here. You'll get frustrated with me. I'm going to start talking fast. Buckle up, okay? Here we go. Romans 1, 2, and 3. We kind of divide it up into this chunk. It is, is based on or focuses on human sin and its effects on all of creation. Where on your best day and on my best day, we are nothing but self-centered, hypocritical, glory-stealing God-mockers that stand under the wrath of God's judgment. How's that for a pick-me-up on a, on a Sunday morning, right? Like in our depravity, there, there's nothing that you and I can do in order to improve on our situation. We, we may decide to clean our lives up, start attending church regularly, lead, read, our, read our Bibles daily, volunteer in our community and so forth. But none of those things can or ever will earn God's favor or put us in right standing with him. In other words, there is nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. Nothing. Romans 3.23, many of us know this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. The good news, however, is, is right after. It says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, despite our sinfulness, God chose to pour out his wrath against sin, not on us, but on his son as an atoning sacrifice, making us right with God through faith in him. Okay, So that's Romans chapters 1 through 3. We get into 4 and 5. It says, uh, Paul expands on the essentials of faith, whereby faith in Jesus alone, not in our works, we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. In fact, the good news continues in 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, long before we knew that we had a need for God, Christ died for us. Again, good news. And, and reconciles us to God through his death. Verse, chapter 6 and 7, Paul then poses a series of rhetorical questions. He says, what shall we say? What shall we do in response to God's grace? Like, where, where the Christian life is not simply a difficult way to live, it's impossible without the supernatural power and presence of Christ at work in us through the Holy Spirit. In fact, at the end of chapter 7, Paul then goes into this bizarre conversation with himself where he starts talking about wanting to do what he should do, but he doesn't do it, and instead he does the evil that he doesn't want to do. Catch all that? To which he beckons, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But just as this tension begins to grow, Paul says, thanks be to God who delivers through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then you get to chapter 8, and this thing just busts open, where it says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says this, John chapter 3, verse 17, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but came into the world to save the world. Therefore, in Christ, we do not live by the power of sin. We live by the power of the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 talks about, assuring us of the love and the security that is ours as the redeemed children of God. And Paul assures us of this because of what God has demonstrated to us by sending his one and only Son. He says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then you get into chapter 9, 10, and 11 that, that are, are kind of full of lots of theological debate. But maybe one way that we can understand this is Paul summarizing this grand narrative of the Bible that describes God's plan of salvation in, involving 
calling a special people to himself through whom the Messiah, Jesus, would eventually come so that everyone who confesses Jesus in their heart and believes that God raised him from the dead, whoever calls on the name of the Lord by hearing the gospel and responding in faith will be saved. That took me four minutes, okay? But that's Romans chapter 1 through 11. So, first chapters, first 11 chapters is the backdrop. Paul says, Romans 12 verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What mercy? This mercy. This mercy that Paul's just talked about. A mercy that declares that we are justified, that we are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Like, that's the gospel. That's the story. That's the mercy that's being demonstrated. And God is merciful. It's not just what he does. Mercy is who he is. It's why scripture says over and over that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who our God is. And it's the mercy of God that drives everything. And it's the mercy of God that's meant to drive us. And when we say mercy, what we're talking about is is essentially this. Mercy is is not getting what you deserve. And if you think about it in the triad that we've talked, I think I, think I talked about this when I was here last. The triad justice is getting, is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Got that? Justice, giving what you, getting what you deserve. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. The mercy and the grace of God. And so Paul urges, he said, don't miss this. I appeal to you. So in view of this mercy, he urges us, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so as, as we wrap this up, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just point us to two things here real quick that we do in response to this mercy. How do we respond to this mercy that is before us? A mer- the mercy of God. And then here's the first thing. We exalt God's mercy by worshiping. We exalt God's mercy by worshiping. In view of God's mercy, we worship God. Why do we worship God? Like, what's our motive? Why are we here this morning? Why do we, why do we gather to sing and, 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 and sit under the teaching of God's word and, and give of our resources and gather and, and, and spend time together in fellowship? Why do we do these things? It's certainly not to earn something that we don't already have. So why do we worship? And Paul answers the question here, why do we worship? Well, we're doing so as, a, as an offering of our bodies, as a living sacrifice. That word body, by the way, in, in, in the Greek means soma. It goes beyond just your physical body. It has to do with your entire being, every aspect of your life. In other words, we offer all we are and surrender to God, not because we have to, but because we get to. That's what worship is that's what worship looks like it's not about us it's not about our preference we don't walk away on a sunday morning and say i just really didn't enjoy the worship you know what we're saying in that that we're missing completely missing the whole point of why we worship in the first place worship isn't about you and me worship is about god because god is worthy he is the only one worthy of worship and we're created to worship him And so we live to please God, who is pleased with us, not because of what we've done, but because of the grace that he's given to us. And then Paul finishes this sentence. He says, this is your true and proper worship. And the phrase true and proper can be translated reasonable, um, logic, rational. It comes from the Greek uh, logizomai, which is where we get our word logic from. In other words, it would just seem right, logical, reasonable, rational, a no-brainer that I should commit my life and surrender my life to God based on what he's done for me. That would seem to be the least I could do. 
where the only rational response to Christ giving all of himself for us is to give all of ourselves to him. And, and by the way, this, this kind of worship goes well beyond one or two hours on a Sunday morning. That's where the idea of Soma, it reaches into every aspect of our life, even the ordinary tasks. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our relationships, our work, our study, our hobbies, our time on social media. Yeah, I went there. What does it look like to worship God, exalt God for his mercy this week? And then secondly, we express God's mercy by one another. We exalt God's mercy by worshiping. We express God's mercy by one another. And this is essentially what the rest of chapter 12 is about. About God's mercy. Worshiping God by expressing God's mercy to one another. In other words, based on God's mercy, in response to God's mercy, we don't gather every week to worship and then walk away and have nothing to do with each other. That, that, that totally violates this, this whole idea, the essence of what it means to be a gospel people in Scripture. Listen, sometimes it would be great if it were just us and God, right? Because why? We get people involved and things get messy, don't they? I heard a minister say years ago, and you've probably heard this before, that ministry would be great if it weren't for people. But it's kind of ridiculous. Like people, we, can be, we can be complicated, but, but because of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, we express that mercy in our one anothering. Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Like a sacrifice points to the fact that of, of one life being given for another. That's what a sacrifice is. Sacrifice presupposes the idea of our life, one life being given for another. Jesus laid down his life for us as an acceptable sacrifice to redeem us so that our true and proper worship is to lay down our lives for the things that please God. And nothing pleases God more than to see his people laying down their lives, getting out of the way, consider the interest of others as better than themselves. To be a people who are self-sacrificing, serving one another, as Jesus taught and demonstrated. Nothing pleases God more outside of worship than for us to to treat one another in a way that communicates to the world what it is that we believe and why it's so important. One another. My plan over the next couple of minutes is I was going to read through the rest of Romans chapter 12. I don't have time to do that this morning, okay? If we were in Greensboro, I would do it. I'm not going to do it today because, again, listen, I'm already, I'm not going to cross that line today, okay? But here's what I encourage you to do. I want you to read through Romans chapter 12 this week. Just read through it. Um, we're going to touch on this chapter over the coming weeks. And what you're going to see, there's about 25 different commands throughout Romans 12 that point us to what it looks like to be a one anothering people. A people who one another, a people who serve one another a people who love or are hospitable to one another. Again, I'll stop there because I'll end up uh, re-preaching all of that. And actually, we'll just have to, have to read it. But let me, let me come back to this. And we put this statement up on the screen earlier. And it says, one anothering is not what we demand from one another. One anothering is what we become for one another. That's what Romans 12 is going to be about. One anothering is not what we demand from one another. It's what we become for one another. I think online you've got a list of questions and, and discussion uh, questions that I would encourage you if maybe in your small group you could walk through some of those this week. But listen, this kind of one anothering, it's sacrificial with God's mercy in full, full view. And so New Cove family, let's press in and be a people who are known by our one anothering. 
who in the full view of the mercy of God are nurturing a one another culture right here. And I look forward to one anothering in the days ahead. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy. So I'm just spending time this morning reflecting on that. God, your, your mercy has, has withheld me getting what I deserve. God, there's so much that I don't deserve. God, your goodness, your love, your grace. And yet you've given it anyway. And so we thank you. Father, this week, may we keep your mercy before us. And God, may we be a merciful people. May that, God, lead us to expressions and opportunities to exalt your mercy through various acts of worship during the week. God, as we leave here this morning, we don't stop worshiping, God. We thank you for that. God, we get to, we get to worship in, in, in the ways that we live our lives today and through the rest of this week. Father, also keep us mindful that because of your mercy, God, you have called us to express that mercy by one anothering. Thank you so much for those commands that we see through Scripture, God. It's difficult, it's challenging at times, but it's, it's, it's better, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, thank you for this church body. Thank you for, again, the, the, the foundation that you have built over the years. Thank you so much for um, a, a faithful past, God, and we look forward to, uh, God, even greater things in the days ahead. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into the next song, obviously we have an opportunity to uh, continue to worship God through worship, uh, or through giving, rather. Uh, We're going to worship God through uh, giving, and so I encourage you this morning, do not give because you have to, give because you get to. God loves a cheerful giver. And and let me say this, you're not giving, you're not giving to an institution, okay? You're not giving to the church, you're giving to, to God and the things that are on God's heart. And so make that an act of worship this morning. Uh, by, by and through whatever way that God has uh, led you to give. Let's continue in worship.